Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise. To contact us, call us at 208-331-4096. That number again is 208-331-4096. Now here's Joel Van Hoogen. In John chapter 1, verse 14, John gives us a short overview of what they saw when they were with the Lord Jesus. We beheld His glory, he said, full of grace and truth. Every one of us has said to ourselves at some point in time, Why did I do that? Uh, that's the way it is with every person. Everyone, that is, except one. Jesus Christ is the lone exception to that rule. Look at His life carefully and gaze there, and you will see grace and truth filling Him up, and not one trace of sin, not one incongruity, not one inconsistency, not one lie. His life breathes out the air of sinlessness. You'll never find Christ, as you read through the story, you'll never find Him apologizing. You'll never find Him ever confessing sin. You'll never find Him begging forgiveness, never seeking to explain Himself as if He were misunderstood, never seeking reconciliation on His behalf, never attempting to right any personal wrongs, never trying to overcome their failings. When we see Peter, who denied Christ, and when he hears that the tomb is empty and he's rushing to the tomb, what Peter is trying to do is he's trying to make up again for his failure. You never see the Lord Jesus never needing to make up for a failure. He's never doing any of these things, not because he's proud or unrepentant, but because he's pure and he's without sin. And as he looks at us and as we see him, we see in ourselves our sins, even as he says to us, and he said this, which one of you convinces me of sin? None of us, Lord. Not one of us. You are full of grace and truth. You are sinless. You are perfect. Here's another thing that you see when you see this man full of grace and truth. You not only see this individual who is empty of everything else but grace and truth, empty of all sin and full of all grace and truth, but you also see in this image, this is what you observe if you study the life of Christ. This is what the disciples saw. They see an individual who had, being full of grace and truth, perfect balance over every positive attribute that was resting fully within him. He had all of the positive attributes that may be expressed in your life. You've got some positive attributes. Well, he had all of them in perfect balance in his being. This is quite an interesting thought. You think of any positive attribute that any person has. For a moment, you think about your spouse or your child, and you think about that, isolate that one thing that... If you were to say something positive about them, what would it be? Think about it. You think about any positive attribute that a person may have and know this. That attribute was completely and fully in full measure in the Lord Jesus Christ. His life was and is full of grace and truth. It was full of love. It was full of kindness. It was without any ounce of falsehood or incompleteness, without any ounce of the absence of truth in any way. Bishop Canon Lydon in the late 1800s made this interesting observation. He says that when you describe the character of an individual, what you have to do is you isolate their strengths and their weaknesses in order to describe their character. What kind of character is Joel? What kind of character is Mike? And 
Greg and whoever it is you ask, they've got to, in order to describe as accurately as possible your character, they have to isolate your strengths and your weaknesses to some extent. Even if they don't refer to the weaknesses, they have to speak only to those things that are the obvious points of strength that stand out from the weaknesses. That which you have an accumulation of, of a positive attribute, in comparison to that area in your life where you have the diminishing or lack of a positive attribute. When you speak of a person's character, you speak of the places where there's an excess of goodness in one area in comparison to the absence or the recess of goodness in another area. That's how you describe a character. That's what makes us characters, is that very thing. You can say that they're industrious. You can say they're patient. You can say that they're laid back. You could say that they're intense. You can pick up a positive attribute and you can weigh it and look at it as opposed to those parts of their life that have less weight in their life. You can say that they're smarter than the average bear, that they have the patience of Job, or that they have a great sense of humor. And these stand out to you as their positive traits because they're in greater abundance in their life than other potentially positive traits. Not very long ago, we did a study on the 12 disciples. It was a fascinating and wonderful study. It was quite enjoyable. And what we saw in these various disciples, that they were all very distinct and unique individuals. We saw that one was fiery, and we saw another one that was careful. We saw one who was doubtful. We saw another one who was hopeful. We saw one who just openly received all the information and believed easily. Another who had to weigh it out and calculate it to understand it. There was one who was brash and impulsive. There was another who was sensitive and thoughtful. Each one had his strengths. Each one had his weaknesses. That's the way it is. I have a young couple that comes to me. I'll be doing marriage counseling with them, and this happens quite often. And you'll ask them, you'll ask the one of the other, well, what is it that attracted you to this individual? Why don't you share with me what their strengths are? And while you're at it, why don't you share with me what you think some of the weaknesses are? The interesting thing is, oftentimes they have a hard time thinking of a weakness. They come up with a lot of strengths, but they just can't. They're so blinded by love. They can't think of a weakness. I've said this before, but it's a constant point of humor in our lives that it was during one holiday season that Nikki and I, before we were married, were walking along the path, and she turned to me and said she could never imagine me angry. <laughs> Think of that. My response is, well, hang around. At some point in time, you'll not have to imagine it. You know? You'll see it. Love blinds us from those things, but, well, so you listen to them, and so they give you their list anyhow. They tell you that they're a great listener, or they, they see that they're a great leader, or they say that they're really sensitive or tender, and another one says, no, they're, they've got thick skin, and they don't get their feelings hurt easily, and you see, really what they're doing is you find out what their weaknesses are by having them tell you what their strengths are, because you're realizing as they're telling you that there's an imbalance in their life. Character is the expression of the fact that we're just not balanced, that we only got some good some part of it that's residing within us. In other words, to say that you have character really in this sense means that you're not perfect. That's not the way it was with Christ. When you look at the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the things that will stun you as you read through the gospel accounts, listen to this, he lacks this distinctive element that we all have. 
as you study his life and you look at it, he doesn't have the building up and piling up of one positive attribute that stands out from other attributes. There is a perfect, profound, amazing balance in his life. Listen to what Canon Lydon says. Quote, Among good men we see that some are given to study and contemplation and others exclusively to practical efforts. In our Lord, the active and the contemplative are so blended that it is impossible to say that either element predominates. The repose of contemplation on the mountainside or in the upper chamber is indistinguishably combined with energetic activity in doing works of mercy and actively opposing the powers of this world. And you see them both in him. You have the picture of the Lord Jesus, and he's in a house in Capernaum, and the crowds are gathering around to hear him speak. They're hanging in the windows and the doorways. They're fixated on his words. They're hanging on everything he says. And as he speaks, tiles from the roof above are being pulled away. And lowered down before him, their eyes, is one lame, crippled man. And Jesus sees the man coming down and being lowered at his feet as the crowd parts. He's already captivated all of them. And he turns to the man and he says to the man, Your sins are forgiven you. Others in the crowd think to themselves, they don't say it out loud, who does this man think he is to say that your sins are forgiven you? Only God can forgive sins. But this Savior knows exactly what's in their mind. He knows exactly what they're thinking. He says, in order that you might know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins, which is harder to say, your sins are forgiven you, or rise up, take up your bed and walk, so that you might know that I have the power to forgive sins, I say to you, rise up, get onto your feet, go to your home, walk, go to your home. What you see in this story and so many other stories is that the Lord Jesus has this tremendous power to assemble and gather the attention of the multitudes and the crowds. His charisma, his power is to speak to the public and influence them with his leadership. And at the same time, he has the ability to acquaint himself and speak and understand and know an individual, one individual man. It's interesting because in public life you find individuals who are quite charismatic and they're capable of communicating on a large scale and connecting with a lot of people. I look back at my life, I think of individuals who you looked at and you aspired after and you listened to, and I think of Ronald Reagan. He was the great communicator. He had a way to communicate in such a way that he captivated all of us. And then later on we discovered that although he was good in that public setting, that he wasn't really good in a personal setting. That he was distant and aloof and quiet and remote. That's how it is with a lot of individuals. You have one individual who's really good in that large public setting and another individual who wants to avoid crowds altogether, but they're really good one-on-one. -on -one. They have that ability to be with one person and know them and understand them and relate to them. I guess they're both good attributes. Jesus has both of them perfectly. He's able to master the multitudes and the crowds, and yet at the same time, he's able to meet you and speak to you and communicate with you, and as you speak with him, you understand that he knows you and that he sees you and he understands you. He's good with you on that level as well. 
Jesus is so profound and wonderful. You have some individuals who can gather together understanding and truths. They mold them. I had professors like this. They would be able to teach you tremendous and wonderful things, but they held them in such a tranquil spirit that you almost fell asleep while they were teaching you. The truths were wonderful, but they seemed so sublime in the process of communicating it. You couldn't even stay awake to listen to it all. And then you have another individual who they don't have as many truths in their minds, but they've seized hold of a few. And they grab a hold them with such tenacity and such energy that they just, you know, you're overwhelmed. You can't fall asleep in the presence. You wish they'd talk about other than the two or three things that they're excited about, but they're really excited about those things. You have the Lord Jesus who speaks truth in such profound and wonderful way that he seems staid and steady and almost tranquil as he pronounces them. There's like a hush that comes over the crowd as he speaks. And yet he holds those truths with an energized will and passion that no other individual can ever hold to them. All of them. You look at him and you see a man who is heroic. and You see manly attributes exuding from him. But if you look again, you also see almost a womanly tenderness and devotion. He's so perfectly well-rounded that you cannot say that he lands in you know, these tests that have the four attributes, the four corners, and you're in one of these. Christ is so perfectly well-rounded, you wouldn't know what he is. You wouldn't know if he's a melancholic or a choleric or whatever they all are. I don't know what they are. I can't remember all the difference. He, he's perfect. He fills them out completely. He is so complete as a man that he's not a man of the Jews only He rises out of nations and nationalities to be called the Son of Man. He represents us all so complete that even this conclusion couldn't be avoided by Pilate himself. And so when Pilate brought him before the crowd for his crucifixion, Pilate found himself saying, Behold the man! You've been listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this message, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until our next broadcast, God bless you.